Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Big Turtle podcast. Um, we are podcasting out of Thailand. And today I have um, Yamir uh, with the Anticonquista group. Yamir is a political commentator and um, just getting into journalism. And uh, he's an activist. Um, for uh, indigenous rights, and uh, he's engaged with uh, Latin American solidarity movements and uh, anti-imperialist uh, movements, and currently based in New York. So I'm gonna have today. We're gonna talk about U.S. foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Latin America. That's gonna be the subject of our uh, discussion. But I let um, I will let Yamir introduce himself and his group in detail uh, to the audience, to the viewers, yeah. Thank you, uh, Vikram. Uh, good to be on this, the Purple Turtle podcast. Uh, yes, my name is Yamir. I am representing the group Anticonquista. Anticonquista is a um, media collective that is uh, creating content for the Latin, Latin American diaspora and Caribbean diaspora within the US and in the Western world, as well as uh, I'm part of the Red Condor Collective, which is a diasporic Colombian uh, collective, which we create content uh, in solidarity with uh, Colombia and its social movements, and as well as uh, creating solidarity funds for Colombia. I am myself am of a Colombian descendancy. Both of my parents are Colombian, but I was born in the U.S. Uh, I have um, I have right now uh, the understanding of why I was born in the U.S. due to the historic institutions that uh, brought my birth within this nation state. So um, yeah, I can't wait to speak more about this in depth. Uh, U.S. foreign policy historically. Uh, with Latin America since the, the creation of the Monroe Doctrine by President James Monroe and towards modern day uh, U.S. foreign relations with uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. Okay, so do you want to tell us about, uh, let's start with Colombia because, uh, you know, Colombia has been um, for better or for worse portrayed in, in the mass media on a very, very popular uh, streaming show, uh, you know, about Escobar and, uh, you know, that everyone saw all, all around the world. And, you know, for many people, that was their introduction to Colombia. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> people who had maybe, so I'm just, I'm just, what's your take on this, on the show and the era it represents. And then, you know, because they obviously, you know, you have the CIA and you have the US state and you've got the war on drugs and you've got their depiction of it. And you've got Escobar, you know, who's kind of the anti-hero. So I, I'm very interested to know from you, you know, what, what this all means, like the big picture and vis-a-vis -vis US foreign policy at that time. Is this show you're talking about Narcos? On Netflix? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I've, I haven't watched it, but I mean, I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I feel like I, 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 I kind of always, always get disturbed 
when somebody when I go up to somebody and I tell them I'm Colombian and they can only tell me, oh, you know, I've watched Narcos, I watched Escobar, and it's just <laughs> like creating. <laughs> I know, yeah, man. It, it creates a caricature of the whole nation state and of what 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 else we have as as a people and not not just like this you know drug lord that you know gets glamorized unfortunately gets romanticized uh within media within pop culture even within music i mean like me i i, I do hip-hop and i know like in the hip-hop culture a lot of people always have like rap rap bars on escobar um but as far as like his gl glamorization as this like drug lord that came from poverty and making him very complex because from one hand he's doing like criminality yeah. stuff but from the other hand he wants to help poor people constructing soccer fields constructing um schools yeah but there's more in depth when it comes towards uh you like u.s foreign policy and as well as um who was around escobar that's in power right now that's in the institutions of power within colombia so when you understand the story when well to understand like escobar um you understand like his connections with ex-colombian president right-wing colombian president alvaro uribe who he worked with escobar when he was the mayor of medellin i don't know if they speak about that in the in the in the show in narcos but that is like uh, an evident um, relations with between Uribe and then Escobar. Now, when coming towards the CIA and U.S. foreign policy um, in connection with Escobar, we, we could talk about like the whole Contra Wars in Nicaragua and um, how Reagan, Ronald Reagan, who was the president at the time, couldn't get money from the Congress, that Congress wasn't giving him money for him to fund the counter-revolutionaries in Nicaragua against the Sandinista Front that just uh, won a revolution against the U.S.-backed dictator Anastasio Somoza. So um, the way Escobar comes into play with this was that Reagan needed money. So Reagan, um, with the help of Abaro Uribe, who was the mayor of Medellin, transported the cocaine um, from Medellin to, uh, to towards Panama, who the, who the president at the time was was U.S. backed president uh, Manuel Manuel Noriega, who was another figure. I mean, when you talk about Escobar, people always talk about Noriega. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole. It's the whole romanticizing criminals, the whole romanticizing gangsters. Uh, from whether it's Escobar, Noriega, Al Capone. So yeah, so uh, the U.S. well under the Ronald Reagan administration um, starts utilizing, and there's a good book about this called The Dark Web by uh, the Dark Alliance. I said the Dark Web, The Dark Alliance by Gary Webb, which he speaks about how Ronald Reagan utilized the cartel of Medellin, transporting that towards Noriega, which they had um, towards Panama, where they had the US-backed dictator Manuel Noriega, utilizing the Contras in Nicaragua, then sending it to California and having a, um, 
a low-ranking drug dealer named Freeway, Freeway Ricky Ross um, utilized that cocaine and created into crack where they would distribute that towards the black community, the African-American and Latino community. And it was also a way to uh, denutralize the black power movement of the Black Panthers. This is where you have the wave of the crack era within the United States. So what Reagan does in essence is try to kill two birds with one stone. From one hand, he's trying to send money towards the Contras in order to destroy the Sandinista revolution. And on the other hand, he's uh, distributing crack throughout the black community in order to destroy the black power movement of the Black Panthers. And this is all, this is all, this is all gets, this all gets, all goes back to uh, Escobar and um, understanding like what his role was in this whole geopolitical chess game. But it's not just Escobar, it's also uh, who still has, uh, uh, who's benefited from that legacy, which is the ex-president Alvaro Uribe, who today is under house arrest because of his connection with drug dealing. But um, right now, uh, the, the proceedings are still going on, I believe. Um, but we, the, the, the president, Ivan Duque, is his uh, uh, pro, uh, protege, is a protege of Uribe. Okay. Okay. Um, the Iran Contra deal. Um, how did that, do you know anything about that? I mean, have you been reading about the Iran-Contra deal and how the CIA kind of manipulated? Yeah. What was, um, I mean, what was the role of, uh, uh, at, at that time? I mean, because we're talking about Noriega and we're talking about Iran and uh, uh, drugs for arms and Oliver North, you know, and then he wrote that he, there was a no guts, no glory thing under Reagan and this kind of machismo. And, uh, you know, this, that, this feeling that the CIA could get away with anything and they did. And that was the first time I think it was exposed and it came out. And, uh, but we did not have the kind of media we have today so it was still like something that the rest of the world didn't really understand. Um, but the CIA has been lying to people for, I mean, you know, for, for, for the longest time, lying to American people. And they get caught out on these lies once in a while. And, uh, but then they carry on. And then they say that, okay, now this thing is no longer, uh, this thing has been declassified or this uh, project is no longer funded. This project is, 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 is no longer operational. You know, but what that means is that it's been taken off the table and been moved elsewhere, you know, but it's still happening. You know, you just got to put it out in the public domain that, hey, you know, now this is defunded, it's declassified, and it's no longer happening. And they just keep on and on doing that. They do that all the time, you know? And um, I mean, so to the rest of the world, you know, this is the thing, and this is what a lot of people are talking about, is that to the rest of the world, 
it doesn't really matter, especially countries like Latin America, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat in office, because the military industrial complex carries on regardless of who's in the White House. You know, so you put a pretty face, you put a pretty face in the White House and someone who makes all the right noises, you know, and someone who looks good and who acts liberal. And, you know, but then what he, he's just continuing the policy of his predecessor. Now take Obama, for instance. Obama, you know, he was marketed at this hope and change guy. But Obama bombed, he dropped 10 times more bombs than his predecessor. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and not only that, he embraced the, the mass surveillance program, the NSA mass surveillance program that happened under his watch that eventually that, that Snowden exposed and then he had to go and uh, flee to Russia. So it's, uh, it's very interesting uh, how these people operate. Now you have, and then, then you had Trump and everyone's all up in arms about Trump and Trump is this loathsome person, this despicable person. And he says all these things on Twitter and he's like, you know, but I talk to a lot of people and they tell me that, hey, that's a true American. You know, previously it was all being swept under the carpet, but this guy represents the essence of America. He's loud, he's vulgar, and he's self-centered. You know what I mean? And he's narcissistic, you know? And yeah. he's just, he's just, uh, 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 he's not able to hide it. I mean, his ugliness is out in the open. The other guys just hide it really well. You know, like, now look at Biden. Biden was an architect for Iraq, for the war on Iraq, you know, the invasion of Iraq that killed like half a million people, maybe more, and essentially destroyed that country of 26 million people and led to the formation of like ISIS, you know, all these things. And you go back in time and you talk about Al-Qaeda and Taliban and all. I mean, these things were funded by the CIA to fight the Soviets in Afghanistan. You know what I mean? So when we now we're in the age of Biden and we're told, you know, everything's okay. And we just saw this very ugly demonstration on Capitol Hill with all these like sort of uh, white supremacists and militias kind of what, you know, trying to stage a coup. And then on social media, the backlash, I saw the backlash on social media, all these people, uh, you know, because Biden, he made a comment, he's like, this is not who we are. This is not what we do. And then people made a list of all the coups uh, sponsored by the USA in Latin America, <laughs> you know, and like installing like all these puppets that would do their bidding and, uh, and then, you know, of course, the case of Chile and Pinochet. And then, so it's very funny, actually, what's going on. It's all being exposed and people don't trust the mainstream media anymore. People don't trust CNN, you know, people don't trust the, the, the New York Times because the New York Times kind of basically was one of the newspapers that endorsed the invasion of Iraq. And the New York Times has often, often published uh, state propaganda uh, to, to justify invading a country or 
overthrowing a government or installing a puppet, you know? So it's very interesting what's happening in the world today. And uh, now you and me, of course, you know, we are like, we are minorities and we see it in a different way. But you talk to like American, talk to white Americans and you even you talk to these right wing guys and you talk to people who vote for Trump. And they, I've talked to these guys, man, they tell me like they, they voted for Trump because the other side was so disgusting. And it's something all the lies and deception from Hillary and Bill and all these people and all the broken promises. So they voted for Trump, not because they like him or they, because they think he's better but because they wanted to break the system, like throw a monkey wrench in the system. And they thought Trump was the guy to do it, you know, because he was so crazy, so out there, did not fit any definition of what a leader or president should be. And uh, so I just thought the whole thing was fascinating, man. I don't know. I mean, uh, what's, what's your take on this? You know, I mean, some people say that he was necessary because the world now is aware of what America is all about. You know, previously it was hidden. Now it's like you have Trump, you know? So. No, of course. And I mean, I think the, the uh, rise of Trump and Trumpism in the United States is very interesting of trying uh, to de deconstruct because you're seeing how um, Trump really called out the, the system, but it's like he was able to co-opt it within his fascist rhetoric, his fascist movement. I mean, Trump knew how to postulate himself. He knew how to say that, oh, he's an outsider. He's not your traditional politician. So right there, he's able to tell people, he said, well, tell his supporters that he's not like, like these uh, crooked politicians that have promises. Um, he knew how to utilize social media very well, Twitter, Facebook, WhatsApp, um, to, to like say, to, to, to create popular terms like fake news or uh, Crooked Hillary or Sleepy Joe. Um, so he's, he is somebody that he knew how to utilize all the um, like lies and deceptions of the Obama administration when we talk about Wall Street, when we talk about the wars, when we talk about um, the, 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 the economic downturn after the Obama administration, and as well as like um, his, his, uh, how he deceived also people of color. So Trump knew how to take advantage of that for his favor. And it has like created itself into this um, like fascistic white nationalist movement like when these men stormed the capitol last week they were storming the capitol like in in um in defense of white power and like like we, like you said right now like joe biden said that this is not america this is the essence of america like white supremacy is is a part of all the institutions of america so um right now we're at a standstill between this ideology of, of supremacy and, and multiculturalism, which is centralized in the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there's like, like, that's another other conversation too. Like you had this guy uh, during, the, during the storming of the Capitol that he looked 
like you don't even know like the buffalo guy or people thought he was trying to be a viking and it's so funny too because this guy literally was dressed up as a white devil yeah like this there's no way to put it like he was yeah. literally a white devil <laughs> but um um like but he's part of like the, the guy named uh his name is jake Ang- angles yeah. i believe jake He's from Arizona. Yeah. He's a part of that QAnon conspiracy. Yeah. He calls himself the QAnon shaman. Yeah. I call him uh, Q, Q Savage. That's my name for him, Q Savage. Yeah. Um, but he, he also is a, is a, is it very interesting? Like when you, when you deconstruct him, I mean, as far as him being now the poster boy of that siege uh, and his whole QAnon conspiracy theory, it demonstrates how that is a, a reaction towards. Uh, black and brown people uprising this summer after the murder of George Floyd, that these white people have to create these conspiracy theories in order to justify them belonging here. Like this is also, also to like get away from the conversation that their ancestors stole this land from indigenous people and utilized the labor of stolen Africans to build this society. So they have to create this conspiracy theory in order to justify them belonging here. And then on top of that, you have the ultimate, like we always talk about the age of cultural appropriation. The guy tried to come in there like a culture appropriating Native American gear. Like, like it's, um, it's, it's, a, cra- it's, a, it's a crazy ph- phenomenon, but as, as you said, Trump is exposing what the United States really is to the global community. As far as um, what occurred in the Capitol last week, it was the case of what Malcolm X said of the chickens coming home to roost. Why? Because the United States has done coups all around the world. Whether we're talking about Dominican Republic, 1965, whether we're talking about Guatemala, 1954, or Chile, 1973, or Venezuela, 2002, I don't have the Venezuela hat on, um, Honduras 2009, or the recent coup uh, last year, or we're, we're right now in 2021, well, two, two, two years ago, 2019, of uh, President Evo Morales in yeah. Bolivia yeah. and the installation of that racist fascist regime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and right now, I have the Wapala behind me. And the Wapala, people, people think this is the LGBTQ flag. This is the pan-Indigenous flag. And those fascists, when they ousted President Evo Morales, they burned this flag, demonstrating that their own sense of white power. So this shows how the United States are, like imports white power, their white supremacy worldwide. It's not just within the nation state. These men that attack the Capitol, these are the type of men, these are the type of white, of white nationalists, white supremacists, racists that go around the world invading countries, invading the Middle East, Latin America, Asia, Africa. So r- right now we are seeing the essence of what the United States is built off of and the and the um and what what its true face is and what and what we the people because this is something also that us the people of the United States have to deal with in order to um secure a better world a better tomorrow not just for us within the belly of the beast but for worldwide so yeah i mean i mean we right now people so today we're supposed to see what's going to happen because trump 
is supposed to be supposed to be getting impeached right now it's the vote on his impeachment and as well as uh there's um there there are his supporters who are out in over 50 state capitals armed um saying that they're ready to fight for their president in case he gets impeached so right now today we are um on high alert in the in the, in the united states to see what's going to happen uh, a lot of people think that this could possibly turn into like a civil war scenario scenario but so i had a very interesting you know i'm sometimes i get on facebook and i'm on on some groups and then i uh, you know, I had a very interesting conversation the other day. I posted this meme um, with all the coups that the United States had sponsored in Latin America, you know, and Biden uh, saying that we don't do this. And there was a lot of people commented and reacted to that. And, um, and then this one guy, and this is obviously something that a lot of people think, hey, the United States is a force for good. And all these countries had communist dictators and the United States goes, you know, does whatever is good for democracy. And so they topple these people to bring democracy into these countries. And this seems obviously this is the view from the other side or the ignorant side or whatever you want to call them. But, you know, lots, a lot of intellectuals also right wing from the right wing give you this sort of logic. And, um, so I'm curious in light of that, there's a huge, there's a lot of uh, talk happening about Venezuela and uh, especially uh, Maduro. Um, what, what's your opinion on, on this, on this logic that, you know, communist dictators are being toppled and it's a good thing. And then uh, focusing on, on, on Maduro because I'm hearing things from both sides. It's very difficult to discern. Obviously, the United States has its own agenda. It wants to install its own people. But speaking of Maduro, what's your personal opinion on him? And what's, what, what's the consensus on him in Latin America and, and among Venezuelan people specifically? Um, so I feel that well, when it comes to like the United States media, they they always like to over-exaggerate or try to make us think that these people are very bad people and that we need to overthrow them and that we're the good guys and that we're here to bring democracy. Um, the United States always likes to use these terms as like humanitarian intervention. And in the case of Venezuela, um, the United States uh, always likes to talk about how they have uh, economic crisis in the in the country, and there's a humanitarian crisis, and you're seeing Venezuelans migrate out of the country, and the inflation, and that people have lines of of, uh, of Venezuelans trying to get uh, food in the in the supermarkets because there's a shortage of food. But one thing the United States will never talk about in its media is the economic war, the hybrid war that the United States has done onto Venezuela, onto the Bolivarian Revolution and Maduro's administration in order to create dissent 
and cynicism within the population to overthrow him. Um, the United States has put sanctions on Venezuela. The United States has utilized uh, institutions in order to devalue its economic currency, the Bolivar, and utilize Venezuelan bankers from Miami to fill Venezuela up with dollars, um, as well as the, the United States with its recent attempt, its recent coup attempt that has flopped with um, it supporting its puppet Juan Guaido as he auto proclaimed himself the president of, of Venezuela. And it's a crazy, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of like a joke. Like how do you get somebody to go and, and tell him to go in front of a, a, a plaza and um, make, tell him, like he, he, he proclaimed himself the president of Venezuela without no votes, without no campaign, and this is supposedly is supposed to be a dictatorship, supposedly. You know, if, if somebody were to do that in a dictatorship, they would go to prison right away or they would be, they would, they would be beheaded. Yeah. Maduro allowed this guy to do whatever he wanted to do. Guaido, walk around, say that he's the president of Venezuela now. Um, and, and it just showed the hypocrisy within the United States media. And, and, um, And with, 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 this, with this coup, um, with the support of Guaido, the United States was able to seize Venezuelan assets uh, outside of its, outside of, um, like its, its foreign assets, Sicko, um, over $5 billion they were able to seize. And those are $5 billion that belong to the Venezuelan people, which they took away. They'll never say they stole it. They say they seized it. Um, but I mean, the Venezuelan people have demonstrated their sovereignty in support of their president, Nicolas Maduro, because they demonstrate that the United States and its media is not going to dictate um, to the world that they have a dictatorship. They themselves know that they've supported a democratic pro process through a popular vote and they need to support that. So, um, Venezuela uh, is, is an example to the world of the United States lies within its corporate media and its imperialistic ambitions right. within, um, within the region, but also against countries that oppose a threat towards its economic hegemon, world hegemon. And Maduro, um, what was his um percentage of the votes that he got do you know so that's something interesting too i mean maduro in the last venezuelan election he didn't do as well as the last last time he was elected to be president in 2013 but there's a lot of things to examine first off the opposition boycotted those elections like the, the opposition says that Maduro stole those elections when they themselves boycotted, they refused, they, they refused to be participate in those elections. Um, so Maduro, he got a, a lower percentage from the last, the last time he was elected president. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but there, there's, 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 there's an argument within that, that the opposition wanted to make it look like he stole the elections and that he's a dictator. 
so right. there, there's uh, there's that. Right, because it's very interesting. It was all. It was also all all in the Dominican Republic. No, yeah. I just want to say this last part too. Yeah. It was all in the Dominican Republic yeah. where Maduro was supposed to sit down with the opposition leader Julio Borges, yeah. and and um. It was being facilitated by the president of the Dominican Republic and also the prime minister, uh, Zapatero of Spain. Uh-huh. And they, they, were, they were supposed to make a, a peace treaty. And then Washington calls the opposition leader, Julio Borges, and tell him, tells him not to, not to sign the peace treaty with Maduro, that they're going to go forward with this plan to not recognize those elections okay. and to illegitimize his, his presidency. In that set, in that way. Okay, okay. Um, it's very interesting because when I look when I look on Google, you know what you get are all these talking points. You know, and this is this is the first thing I'm seeing that Venezuela has a presidential government. The Economist Intelligence Unit rated Venezuela an authoritarian regime in 2019 and when you when you enter who is there's another google who is the legitimate president of venezuela it says agreement approved by the national assembly to declare the usurpation of the presidency by nicolas maduro on 15 january 2019 so this is what comes up you know what i mean on on <laughs> is the first thing that you see if anyone wants to Google this. So I'm just wondering how much of this is doctored and how much it's it's very complicated, you know. It's not it's something very, that you can yeah. No, I was gonna say it's very interesting too about when Guaido uh, proclaimed himself the president of Venezuela and people were saying that all oh, the international community recognizes Guaido. It was also seeing how, like, uh, even in U.S. foreign policy, there's an element of racism towards that because it was only the countries, um, like the, the 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 more like northern, western imperialist countries that recognize Guaido, um, compared to the other nations. Whether you look at Latin America, Africa. Asia, the Middle East, that yeah. recognized Maduro as yeah. a legitimate president. You only had one nation in Africa that recognized Guaido, which was Morocco. Everybody else recognized uh, Maduro. Maduro. And that's, a, that's an analogous towards uh, the relation of Venezuela under its Bolivarian revolution with Mother Africa. Um, so it's, it's very telling about what who who's considered to be the international community like who's important and who's not important very interesting that's very interesting in fact iran and venezuela are now helping each other out in the face of us sanctions right they're uh, bypassing the economic blockade and they're yes. helping each other out as we speak so, of course, I mean I- Iran has a Iran has a history of being economically blockaded by the United States since its 1979 Islamic Revolution, which they ousted the U.S.-backed dictator, um, the the Shah, and ever ever since then the United States has never forgiven I- Iran for that. 
um, and put has put economic sanctions. So Iran has experience with with these sanctions and is showing Venezuela how to combat these sanctions. Like right now, Iran is uh, building supermarkets in Venezuela, Iranian supermarkets. But the U.S. foreign, uh, the U.S. media wants to say that you got Iran's Islamic extremists within these supermarkets and yada yada yada. Wow. Um. Yeah, because the Shah of Iran was actually, um, he was toppled, right? He was toppled by, uh, by the CIA. And he was he was he was a democratically elected leader, and then the Khomeini came after him when he was toppled, and Khomeini came to power. But as far as I know, the Shah was he was a popular guy. That's kind of the picture I get. And then he was toppled because he refused to uh, abide by the United States. Uh, uh, there was something about the nationalization of their oil. And the U.S. wanted access, and they, you know, there was there was the whole commotion over that, that the U.S. didn't get what they want from the Shah as far as oil and gas went. So he was toppled because of that, and then you had the Khomeini come in, who's like an extremist, you know. And uh, so it's very interesting what the people want, what the United States wants. And it's not always black and white because these countries are not, you know, understand that you cannot look at these, these countries are as complicated, their demographics, their politics, their fault lines and their loyalties and so on. They're as complicated as the United States. You know, it's not as simple as saying that, oh, this is the good guy and that's the bad guy. You know what I mean? I mean, these countries have leaders who are as compromised morally as American politicians. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So that's kind of what I think we have to navigate that and not think, say that, you know, that because all these people, are, yeah. No, I was going to say, I think what people got to understand is that like a society like Iran is very complicated yeah. and yes, um, there are things that I disagree with, um, but, that doesn't mean that I get involved in their problems, yeah. like in their in their contradictions. Yeah. I mean, I come yeah. I, I come I come from a country that has a lot of contradictions, as yeah. we're seeing right now with last yeah. week with the assault on the Capitol. Yeah. Um, so it's like, who are we to intervene in another nation's yeah. um, a process? Exactly. And we have our own contradictions right at home. Yeah. Um, I, I feel the Iranian people should figure out their own problems uh the yeah i mean there's there's um there are pros and cons with their society given the fact i mean it's a theocracy but at the same time it's a uh it's a country that has a a, a parliament it, it has also like from what i've read it has one of the highest uh statistics of women going and getting phds in the middle east um but i mean they they themselves have to figure out their their situation without U.S. intervention. The U.S. U.S. intervention, so called, trying to spread democracy. That's all just them trying to spread their interests. They have interests behind why they want to get, get involved in these countries. 
just like in Venezuela too. Venezuela, um, it has it has its own it has its own problems. It's not perfect. I mean, I, I might be very supportive of of President Maduro, but it's not to say that um, he's perfect. I mean, nobody's ever perfect. No. But at the same time, it's just the Venezuelans have to deal with their own problems and their their own contradictions, and without just with this whole policy of just overthrowing a government just for, for overthrowing a government and then what you know yeah yeah the united states man for 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 too long has just treated uh, latin america as a as its backyard you know where it can do whatever it wants and uh, unfortunately for some reason it's shielded from the rest of the world uh, it's not given, it doesn't stand out on the world stage, for example, as much as the Middle East, for obvious reasons. And the Middle East is like all over, you know, because you've got Israel and you've got Palestine and then you've got all these very complicated power structures. And you have the United States, which is a major ally of Saudi Arabia, selling them arms. Saudi Arabia is a big sponsor of terrorism all over the world. So everything comes back to the United States, you know, and then when you say that what happened on 9-11 was inevitable and that some people were surprised it didn't happen earlier. And it's like, man, if you go all around the world dropping bombs and destroying countries, I mean, do you honestly think like it's not going to come back and bite you in the ass someday? I mean, you know, it's like I'm amazed that Latin America has been so kind of docile, actually, you know, uh, in the face of what the U.S. has been doing to them for all these years. Um, and, uh, and this whole thing about, it, about terrorism, of course, terrorism is a thing and is, 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 a, ma is a problem uh, everywhere. And... Uh, but understand when the U.S. designates someone a terrorist, I mean, you have to really examine it through a very critical lens. I mean, it's like, you know, Nelson Mandela at one point in time was designated a terrorist by the United States, by the CIA and the State Department. Did you know that? Nelson Mandela was designated a terrorist. Because, yes. simply because he was anti-imperialist and for obvious reasons, you know, and then he became a hero and then he, you know, obviously then he became a big global icon and all of that. And then it was all washed away. So, I mean, I mean, right now, not to interrupt you, but I mean, like uh, yesterday you had uh, the secretary of state, Mike, Mike Pompeo, that designated Cuba, uh, uh, put Cuba back on the list of states sponsored terrorists. Um, and it, it, it's just so crazy just because Cuba throughout this whole pandemic has done nothing but send doctors worldwide to try to fight the pandemic of COVID-19. While the United States has only just tried to like take advantage of trying to uh, spread its military out towards its enemies, whether it's Venezuela or Iran or China. So uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting when the United States, you have to question, when the United States puts a country, an island nation like Cuba under the list of state-sponsored terrorists, 
like why why are they doing that and like cuba has like like i said again cuba has done nothing but send doctors like and they, they didn't give them they didn't want to give them the nobel peace prize the cuban doctors from the henry reeves brigade yeah yeah um, well guess who got the nobel peace prize man henry kissinger a sort of notorious mass murderer got the peace nobel peace prize and the other guy who got it was barack obama got the nobel peace prize you know after dropping more bombs than the guy before him george bush junior i think when they're supposed to give donald trump that prize that prize also <laughs> i don't know I read, I read somewhere that they were going to give him that the reason why was because of him um like him trying uh, him consolidating peace within the middle east because i don't know how they his supporters are always saying that he has not gone to war with no country like there hasn't there hasn't been no boots on the ground but he's been trying to start wars at the same time. And he's been open about trying to start wars. So I've been following Biden's uh, cabinet nominees. And uh, so I'm on Twitter. I have, I mean, I have a podcast account on Twitter. I don't have a personal account, but I've got sucked into this uh, group of reporters and journalists who are very anti-imperialist and they, they tweet about US imperialism and hegemony and atrocities and hypocrisy. You know, people like uh, Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, so he's one of the guys. And then uh, he's the guy who originally came up, came out with the whole NSA illegal surveillance expose and Snowden and Assange, Julian. He's a Julian Assange. Um, supporter and look what they're doing with Julian Assange for exposing war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. They want to kill him. You know, they want to put him away. They want to kill him, but they're not able to do it because there's so much scrutiny. But if you look at US mainstream media, they haven't covered it at all. It's just these guys, Glenn Greenwald and a few, you know, this, this, this uh, group of independent journalists, uh, John, John Pilger, uh, of course, there's Noam Chomsky, and there's uh, there's people like that, uh, you know, who are uh, talking about these things, uh, but not the mainstream media at all, and uh, or the corporate media, I should say. Um, and now I've been looking at Biden, Biden's cabinet. So he has inducted people who are basically uh, notorious warmongers and these are the people who've been responsible for coups you know in places like ukraine and these are people who are known to be hawks and these are people who are military industrial people and then these are people these are the corporate shills and uh, so there's a lot of this happening uh, and recently the the head of the, the the usda is mr monsanto you know the guy Tom Vilsack, he's the big Monsanto guy. He wants to convert everything into GMOs, basically. And um, so how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, in terms of 
U.S. policy towards Latin America moving forward? How was it under Trump and is it likely to change with, with what you've seen? I mean, the developments with, with his, his appointees. Are you following uh, the cabinet, the Biden's cabinet? Well, yeah, I, I, I feel, um, well, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit oblivious to Biden's cabinet and as far as like what their foreign policy is going to be towards the Middle East. I could just imagine it could be the same as Latin America, trying to have this soft power approach, uh, trying to just steer away from Donald Trump's approach, which is more just like hardline, um, very honest, very saying that we're going to, we're trying to invade this country type of rhetoric. Um, Biden is going to try to be more diplomatic, but at the same time, still try to topple these governments that the United States seem look, looks at as a threat towards their hegemon within the region, whether that's Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, now Bolivia. I mean, Bolivia successfully was able, the people were able to take back their power away from the fascists. Um, so I, I, I believe that Biden is going to be um, more diplomatic towards these countries. And there could be more, people say there's more possibility of invasion of Venezuela under Biden than Trump. Um, just because Biden, it, like he is, he is the establishment. That, that, that whole uh, rhetoric of Trump talking about being against the establishment um, Biden embodies the establishment. Like you said, he's the architect of the war in, the, uh, in Iraq. He's the architect of the 90s crime bill that criminalized young African-American um, and brought incarceration of, of African-Americans under, under uh, Bill Clinton, a Democrat. Um, also, he is the architect, and to bring it back to Latin America, he is the architect of Plan Colombia. And Plan Colombia was an initiative between the United States and the Colombian government in the 90s to bring in arms in order to fight the war on drugs and also in order to fight also the, the leftist guerrillas of the FARC and the ELN. Um, and, and this, this um, helped consolidate uh, multinational corporations' interests within Colombia. And because of Plan Colombia, uh, the United States has nine military bases within Colombia. So Colombia is basically like a neo-colony, a neo-military colony for the United States within the region. And Joe Biden, Joseph Biden, helped facilitate an arc and was an architect of that. So um, Biden will, will, of course, be with, in close ties with the Colombian government of Ivan Duque, even though Duque was more of in support of Trump, but they will be in, in, in close ties. Um, and, and as far as like their plans for Venezuela, because all that military aid that the United States sends to Colombia, which on the left, we, we consider it the, the Israel of Latin America, but not everybody, no, no, nobody's right wing in that country. I mean, that's, that's, that, could, that could be a whole different topic, but still, uh, as far as like Colombia on this chessboard for U.S. imperialism, it serves their interest in invading Venezuela, and Biden will will symbolize this whole soft power diplomatic approach, and it's like a little bit scary because of the fact of how 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 like under his administration, 
they were able to get Muammar Gaddafi out of power in Libya when he was the vice president under Barack Obama. Okay. Gaddafi was, that was Hillary Clinton's project, correct? She was, she was, yes. uh, she was. She actually one. said, she actually said with cynicism, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. She said, we came, we saw, and he was dead. She said that in an interview, like looking like, looking like a, a cynic, like a cynical killer. Like she, she basically was like, we came, we saw, and he was dead. Crazy, man. I don't know, man. What's the future of this country? I mean, they're literally trying to, you know, and then what's interesting is you have Russia and China and look at how Russia and China are vilified in the U.S. media. You know, look at the fear mongering. Look at the, this whole Russia gate conspiracy theory that the Russians are somehow responsible for America's woes. They're responsible for Trump. They're responsible for everything, you know, as if the Americans aren't capable of screwing up themselves. So you got to find another, you got to find an external enemy, Russia. Now it's China. And look at the demonization and the vilification. And that's what I tell people. Okay, Russia and China are not perfect. And, you know, obviously you have immigrants wanting to come to America and America, you know, on the surface and domestically is slightly better in some ways. But you talk about crimes, you talk about human rights, you talk about America preaching human rights. I mean, there is nobody who, that, who violated human rights as much as the United States of America so far. Chinese, not the Chinese, not the Russians, you know, nobody, not Saddam Hussein, not anybody in the Middle East or in Latin America has violated human rights as much as the United States of America. So it's like, it's getting very hard, you know, it's just, it's becoming, the whole thing is becoming ridiculous. And then you begin to see why people are fed up. And then you begin to see why people like Trump get voted in. And then you begin to see why people like Trump are so popular because, you know, to, the, to Joe Schmo, he's the guy giving the finger to, you know, to the elite. You know, to the people yeah. who the New York Times and the Harvard University and CNN, you know, and these guys are hated, man, you know, <laughs> by, by the average American, you know. So you can see, man, why they vote for Trump. You know, it's like, for, to me, it's very obvious. Now, if you're living in America and you're very polarized and you're like, you don't see the big picture, obviously you're going to be like, oh, this guy's a Nazi. How can you vote for him? You hate black people. You hate Muslims or whatever. But I can see beyond that, man. I can see beyond that. You know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. I know people who voted for Trump. I talk to them. And they're not all racists. So it's not what you hear. It's not what the mainstream media wants you to believe you know people are fed up that's why they vote people feel oppressed they're depressed and they don't believe the other side just like you and me we're talking about the lies told by the the liberal establishment so they're seeing it on a different scale 
you know, but we see it as minorities. They see it from a different angle. And uh, that's why all this anti-elitist rhetoric wins elect wins gets people to vote and to, 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 for Trump and people like Trump and populist leaders in other countries in Europe and in in, in other places, you know, because people, Brazil, uh -huh. yeah. People don't like the elite, man, because the elite lie to them. This is what this is the point of. I'd like maybe, I think we should wrap this up, but this is the point, you know, that I'd like to end with. Maybe you'd like to comment on that. No, yeah, I mean, this is, um, this is, like I said in the beginning, um, it's not, it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray areas to cover. I mean, the, the, I mean, there's a lot of people, yes, that are in support of Donald Trump and who are not racist and are not white supremacists but are people who are economically fed up and that Trump was able to convince them and make them see, I guess in their own way, like the corruption and, and the, the deception within the, the, the US and the, the so-called American dream, the so-called social mobility that people thought that they would be having um, under Trump. And given the fact that people don't know who Biden is and his neoliberalist cabinet, uh, there's, there's a good percentage that said that people voted for Biden because it was a vote against Trump. Um, and I'm not saying that you, there wasn't, there, there wasn't anything uh, negative of voting against a fascist like Trump, somebody who's a neo-fascist, but there needs to be a deep-rooted conversation about like the system. Um, there's a lot of things about like, what if uh, people stormed the Capitol in in like let's say for social problems not for this whole dynamic of that they feel that their president got robbed out of an election but let's say if people were storming the capital because of unemployment like the massive unemployment that's happening in the u.s or the massive um housing crisis or also like the amount of like black black uh black citizens or people of color that are br brutally murdered by the by the police imagine people storming the capital for that it would have been it would have played out differently and this is to say that um the us and its people really needs to need, really need to have a, a deep rooted conversation that could decolonize the united states that could bring forth an anti colonial project uh, that 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 has it in, that has it in the center, black and indigenous liberation, because this is something that we must always have in every conversation when talking about the U.S. When talking about what occurred last week or Trump, that um, we're at a standstill. We're at a standstill between the supremacy logic, which represents Donald Trump, and multiculturalism, and we. In, in the belly of the beast have to ask ourselves what type of the what type of United States we want to live in and what type of a uh, world we want to um, bring forth for for us within the belly of the beast and worldwide right well thank you thanks for coming on the podcast uh, it was most illuminating and uh, as the year uh, proceeds, I'm sure there's going to be lots to talk about, you know, 
because I think Definitely. it's going to be a very tumultuous year. I mean, we, we don't know. Uh, I, I don't think we can imagine what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of things waiting to unfold. So hopefully, you know, we can, I, I, I'll have you back soon because I'm very interested. Uh, obviously, I'm uh, engaged with Latin America. I've made films in Mexico and I've made films about U.S. foreign policy, immigration policy. I write about it. So I'd like to have you back on and uh, let's uh, thank you. Thanks for coming. And uh, for everyone who's listening, you can find us on Instagram. Thanks for listening to the Big Turtle Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time.